Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Happy Independence Day. And thanks for listening to this special Best of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. morning and happy 4th of July. This is a best of Mornings with Carmen program. So thank you so much for including me in your 4th of July celebrations, festivities, remembrances, acknowledgments, fireworks. I like me a good watermelon, all that good 4th of July fun. So um, happy 4th of July. Happy birthday to the United States of America. This is the day uh, upon which we acknowledge our independence and the birth of this country. So let's talk for a moment about what it means to hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Like, what does all of that mean? That statement, that claim, that declaration depends on uh, a number of shared uh, presuppositions. We hold. Well, what do we hold? Well, we hold truths. Well, what truths? These self-evident truths. Well, what self-evident truths do we hold? Well, these, that all men, all, are created equal. Really? Endowed by their creator, hmm, with certain unalienable rights. So let's um let's take those quickly in reverse, because I think if we work our way from the certain unalienable rights back to the question of whether or not we hold them, uh, it might make for an interesting conversation for us today. So certain unalienable rights. So many of our contemporary conversations swirl around the issue of rights, my rights, your rights, where the two might collide. But you can't actually get to a conversation about rights if the foundation of that conversation has been undermined. So it's really hard for me to talk with you about rights and unalienable rights um, if we are not operating out of the same worldview. So if you are operating out of a worldview where individualism reigns supreme, um, then freedom is not grounded in a common humanity. It is grounded in your individualism and your expressive individualism. And therefore, your right is seen as superior to my right. But if we understand ourselves both as created in the image of God, then we stand together as creatures recognizing the sovereignty of God over all, who alone um, is the giver of rights, which gets us back to the endowed by their creator phrase of the opening sentence of the Declaration of Independence. So the Declaration of Independence presupposes a creator. It presupposes a common belief in God, a God who creates. A God who creates what? Well, at least human beings, the pinnacle of God's good creation. So human beings are understand, understood here in the opening sentence to be not only created by God, but endowed by God with what? Well, certain un, unalienable or inalienable rights. So that is um, part of the conversation that we have to have with our neighbors today. We have this sentence at the opening of the Declaration of Independence. Do we share the presuppositions upon which the Declaration of Independence was actually expressed? Do we believe in a creator God? Do we believe that that creator God at the pinnacle of creation created human beings and then endowed us with certain 
unalienable rights. Before we get to the rights conversation and the list of those rights, we have to get to the conversation about who is the source of this uh, this conversation about rights, and that is the creator God. Do you see the challenge and the opportunity set before us? All right, let's return to this conversation um, in a little bit. But right now, I want us to be able to um, listen to the conversation that I had with Steve West about the bronze scar. Lots of friends around us suffering with PTSD. Um, and it's important to know how that feels and then how we can respond to it. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen, this best of Mornings with Carmen on July 4th on Faith Radio. Praise God, we don't have to hide scars. They just strengthen our wounds and they soften our hearts. Steve West joins us now. Steve has served for 28 years as a military chaplain. He has served as an EMT, a city police officer, a hospital chaplain. He knows firsthand how PTSD feels. He joins us today to talk with us again about his book, The Bronze Scar. Steve, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. It's wonderful to be back with you, and I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Um, Remind us a little bit about this topic. What is PTSD and how many of our neighbors and friends are suffering um, in this way? Well, PTSD is something that causes us to react or act in different ways than we normally would from trauma, from things in our life that have affected us. There's a there's a big difference between PTS and PTSD, but in reality, most people have post-traumatic stress to some degree or another, uh, something that affects their life from the tragedies or trauma they've experienced or seen from other people. And so it could be anywhere from just making them sad or changing the way they do things. Uh, it doesn't usually get to a, a point where it's a disruption in their life enough to be a diagnosable disorder. But for the most part, we all take things from our past that does things to us today. And we talk about PTSD. I just think we have an increasing awareness that it can happen to anyone. Uh, and I think historically, when we have thought about PTSD, we have thought about people who have literally gone to war. And today we talk about PTSD um, in relationship to people who are traumatized right here at home by a variety of um, experiences, including I'll just, you know, I use the shooting in, in Uvalde as an example, because not only is that a traumatic event for those who experience it firsthand, but that is a re-triggering event for people who have um, had similar experiences. Absolutely. Uh, So many things can trigger us back to the times when we had trauma in our own life, especially through seeing and hearing about trauma from others. Right now, as you said, there are so many things that are happening that are terrible events, uh, just like the shootings. And there are so many of those that are going on right now. It's sad. But in reality, what it does is it rec- it calls to us a reminder 
that there are people who are hurting in so many terrible ways. Nothing can compare with some of these terrible things that we've seen uh, in the last year that have happened uh, in our country and around the world. Uh, And we can't understand exactly how it feels unless maybe we have something that's caused us to feel that way. So uh, one of the great things is it's brought more of an awareness. And if we're going to understand it, then we need to be aware of what's going on and how it's affecting people. And an increasing percentage of the population, you know, is is exposed to trauma, have traumatic events. Not everyone who experiences trauma has post-traumatic stress. Is that true or false? That is absolutely true. That's what I'm talking about when I say post-traumatic stress. Uh, Carmen, there are things that you could probably say in your life that have happened that cause you uh, concern. It causes you, like I said, the sadness. Uh, and these things can be much more than military. The reality is, is that uh, loss of loved ones, trauma that we see to others like is being played out right now, verbal and sexual assault, abusive relationships being uprooted, and, the, and really the, the list just goes on and on. And so it helps us to be more aware if we can understand kind of how it feels in some way, not that we are putting ourselves in other people's place, but that kind of understanding about feelings helps us to connect. We're talking with Steve West. We're talking about the bronze scar. You can find it at bronze scar.com. Um, you've learned um, you've learned some things. You've heard from a lot of people um, since since the book came out. So I know that you are working on a second edition. What are some of the things that people have indicated that they wanted more information on, that they wanted to know more about? The main thing uh, is the part about faith. In the book, I share how PTSD affects my relationship with God. And I talk about in the book how PTSD has caused me to lose my intimacy with God. And that's where I left it instead of going to solutions. A lot of people ask, well, why do you just talk about the problems themselves? What about the solutions? The book was not meant to be a problem solver other than to make us more aware. Uh, What it's done for me, and I'll give you the rest of the story now, is not that loss of intimacy with God, because in reality, I've been too focused on the feeling part and what God's dealt with me and and what people want to know. And this will be part of the revised edition that comes out uh, is that it felt like my relationship with God was further away, even though I love him just as much, want to serve him. He loves me. In reality, I was thinking about the feelings and you know how feelings can uh, be distorted in reality. The truth is that relationship is not gone. I still have intimacy with God, but what God has taught me even more over this last year is that it's not based on your feelings. It's not based on 
what you're thinking at the moment, because we all know, and we've said many ways, God never moves. Mm -hmm. So he hasn't gotten closer away from me and I haven't moved. It's just that this type of thing, trauma, and especially with PTSD, causes us to have our feelings numbed. And so it doesn't take away our relationship. And that's a big one that I think that uh, is a message that I really want to be focusing on and getting out now is the PTSD hasn't taken away my relationship with God. I just can't feel it as intensely, but it's there. Believe me. Yeah. Um, I think that I, I think, Steve, you know this about me. We've talked about it before. I mean, you know, I have a, a precious stepson who returned after two tours in Afghanistan with what I will just describe as a soul wound. God's been working with him um, on that. PTSD is real. People process it differently. It takes different people, different periods of time. Recovery is uh, an interesting word to use in relationship to it. Um, it's not a sign of weakness. There's lots of factors involved. Um, if you want to understand PTSD better and how it feels, uh, The Bronze Scar is just an excellent book on the topic. You can find Steve and you can find the book at bronzescar.com. We're going to return to this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Praise God we don't have to hide Continuing our conversation with Steve West, we're talking about his book, The Bronze Scar. You can find Steve and the book at bronzescar.com. Steve, when we're talking about living with um, a family member, a loved one who suffers with PTSD, um, and we're trying to better understand how it feels, the the tendency to pull away and isolate and the tendency toward angry outbursts, those would be the two um, kind of points in time in, you know, relationally that I'd like for you to help equip us to more appropriately respond. So when my loved one um, is pulling away and isolating, what are they feeling and how might I best respond? That's an excellent way to look at it and ask because so many people that have been writing back to me and getting back in some way, talk about how at least understanding the feelings uh, has helped them so much in relation to their loved one. It, there's just beautiful stories out there, and I thank God for those. But the thing about ministering to those or helping those, however you would put it, that you're around, that love you. Uh, there's some things that we can do that make a big difference. And that is, first of all, try to understand what they're going through as far as the emotion that's going on. Uh, what happens with family members and loved ones is they take the brunt of the anger that you're talking about and the isolation. Uh, I have to admit that that the thing that I do most, my go-to mechanism, which is not good, but is reality, is by withdrawing, by getting out of whatever I'm in in the moment, because in my mind, I just am saying, 
I can't do this. I can't discuss this. I can't be in this situation. And the problem with that is it's just like uh, years ago, I don't know about today, but we used to uh, have the term about sweeping it under the carpet. Mm -hmm. In other words, just kind of getting the things that are going wrong out of where they can be seen. Uh, The problem with that is, is that the more you sweep under the carpet, the more it has the opportunity to trip you. So it doesn't go away. It's there. So long term, it's not a good thing to withdraw. And if you see someone that or love someone that in the situation you're in at the moment, maybe is either shutting down or withdrawing, understand that that's a thing for them to say, I can't do this. Uh, It's affecting me inside so much. It's affecting my my thinking Uh, and give them some space. Let them allow them to either back away for uh, just a little bit, but make sure you come back to it. That's important because that shows you care and that shows you also are looking for ways to be a positive influence on the person instead of making it worse. Can I can I say, hey, I, I just recognize that you need some time and um and I appreciate that. I want I want you to know that you're not alone and I and I also need for you to assure me that you're safe. Like is is that selfish Absolutely. of me to ask or is that communicating my you know, my heartfelt concern and my desire to get more resources to bear if that's what's needed now? No, not at all. Uh, The more trusting relationship you have with the person who has PTSD or something else having to do with trauma, it doesn't just have to be PTSD, but in the moment, the more that you start recognizing the signs of what's happening with them. And everybody has different signs, but saying something is perfectly, uh, I would say, actually, it's an excellent thing to do, especially when you're trying to learn how to deal with the situation because you're with those people all the time. And so asking is a great way to do that. You know, it's just like, uh, sadly, with suicide, one of the things that we don't like to do is ask someone anything having to do with suicide, but it's what has to happen. And so if you have that trust factor, then you'll be able to speak to them. And now I'll be honest, uh, there are certainly times when when I just don't want to talk about it. And so if you approach me uh, in the situation of caring for me and we're in an intense moment in some way or another, uh, certainly try that. It's, it's the best thing you have. Uh, but if they continue to resist, let them go. Yeah. Let them do what they need to do at the moment. The most important thing is to try to come back to it at some time in the next few hours or that day so that you can actually gain more of an understanding of why is it that this was causing you to do this or that. And and like you said, anger is one of the big ones. 
Um, talk with us, uh, Steve, about the the reality that PTSD is a journey. It's a diagn- like it's a it's a reality. It's a diagnosis, but it's also a journey. Yeah, it, it's actually a process. It is a journey. Uh, well, first thing the journey is is that you have to realize that you have something that's going on, and then you have to seek help, professional help. Trying to deal with it on your own is not going to change it uh, any more than if I have something medically going on with me that I can just let it go like a lot of people do, hoping it'll go away uh, because we need to be seeing what's happening both in ourself and in the reaction that others have. That's an important thing once you're becoming aware of what's going on with you or you're aware of what's going on with the person that you care for, uh, that makes so much difference. Mm-hmm. It's so helpful. Such a blessing. Oh, yes. Thank you so much um, for, for joining us again today um, during this PTSD Awareness Month. Thank you for um, not only the first edition of the Bronze Car, but we're going to look forward to the second edition as well. Thank you for um, continuing to be so transparent about your own experience and journey and coming alongside others who not only suffering directly from PTSD, but those of us who love people who suffer with PTSD and want to be, um, um, we want to be more well-equipped to love well. So thank you so much. We really appreciate it, Steve. Thank you so much, Carmen. Absolutely. God bless. You too. That's Steve West. You can uh, find him at uh, the website for the book, bronzescar.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. What's your online life look like? What does your life in Christ look like expressed online? We're going to talk with our friend Chris Martin about why online grieving feels so weird. This is a conversation we had with Chris a couple of weeks ago, but we thought we'd include it again here today in this Best of Mornings with Carmen on July the 4th. When we're talking about the way we express ourselves and the experience of um, things like grief, How do we express that? When do we express it? And what does it look like in a digital age to express our grief online? Chris Martin, up next. All right. We are thrilled to be joined again by Chris Martin from Terms of Service. That's the book. That's also the blog. Um, He is an editor for Moody Press and a social media consultant and a friend. Chris, welcome back. Hi, Carmen. It's good to be back with you. I feel like we've only talked a couple times in the last month or so, given me being out and about and and absent, and then you were absent last time I was on, so... I know, I know. So, um, so thank you so much. Um, love, love our opportunities to catch up. I love what you're writing and how you're thinking about um, our interaction with one another that takes place increasingly and frequently um, in online spaces. So, you, your attention has been drawn to grieving online. Just talk with us about um, 
maybe what captured your attention related to this, and then we'll we'll walk around in some of your observations. Yeah. Um, you know, the last couple years have been really hard, and I think anybody listening uh, would probably agree with that. It's not like we're in unprecedented territory in terms of life being hard. People who are alive today lived through World War II and the Cold War and all kinds of like, you know, um, uh, violence and protesting in, in around the Vietnam War. I mean, there, there have been plenty of tumultuous times in our country and in our lives in the last couple of generations. But the last couple of years between super contentious political atmospheres and a global pandemic that truly was unprecedented for pretty much all of us who weren't alive for the Spanish flu, which I think is almost all of us at this point. Um, so it's been just really hard. And I think as we've increasingly lived online over the last five to 10 years um, and become more comfortable with bearing our souls on the internet uh, to other people through the medium of the internet, usually through social media platforms, um, I've started to think about what it means to grieve online and I, I and to to really wear our hearts on our sleeves on the Internet and, and particularly in the realm of, of grief or like sadness and, and negative emotion, because the last couple of years have been so hard. There have been plenty. There have been plenty of things to grieve in the last two years and um, that, that are totally worthy of grief. Um, but. As I live online and use social media personally and in part use it for my job, I have just started to wonder more and more, is it good for us to grieve online? Is it appropriate? Mm. And I used to, I used to, I guess, grieve online, I guess you could say. What I mean by that is like posting content on our various social media feeds that expresses our sadness, our frustration, our anger towards something terrible that's going on. So mm -hmm. what, what drew this to mind very recently were really a couple of events. Um, one was the um, release of the, the sexual abuse report regarding the Southern Baptist Convention. I attended Southern Baptist Church and worked for Lifeway Christian Resources for seven years, which is a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. So I am very close to that situation, or, or at least have been in the very near past. And so plenty of people that I personally know were involved in that whole dust up one way or another and, and were involved in being a part of creating the report or, or were in the report. And so it was really hard for me to, to see come to light everything that came to light through that report regarding sexual abuse cover-ups in the Southern Baptist Convention. And then around, frankly, right around the same time, um, the horrible tragedy in Uvalde, Texas, with the shooting of all the students and, and the teachers there. Mm -hmm. um, there were plenty of opportunities in like a six-day window or so toward the end of May for a lot of my friends and people I know on social media to be posting grief content. People mm -hmm. who are angry about what they're seeing, people who are frustrated. Maybe, you know, they're not they're not clenching their teeth in anger, but they're just frustrated at what's going on or or they're just very sad and they're, and they're just, you know, lamenting through a Facebook post or a tweet. Um, and that's all fine. I'm not here to pass judgment on those people and say that that it's morally wrong to grieve on the Internet. Like, I, I, I think it would be overstepping for me to say that. And I don't even think that's necessarily true. However, as I process through these things that were very 
hard for me, did not affect me you know, personally, but were very hard for me to witness. And especially the, the shooting in Texas had my stomach turning over, especially mm-hmm. now that I have a daughter myself and, and feel that in a way I maybe didn't feel it when I was 22 and, and not married or whatever. Um, I was like, I remember weighing that week or so weighing, do I post something about these things? Like these things are grieving me and they make me feel sad and angry and frustrated. Should I post? Like, is there something I have to say? And what I kept coming back to is I kind of like wrote posts in my head and like drafted things like, am I going to say this? Am I going to say that? Is it worth it? I just came to the conclusion that grieving online feels weird to me. And I, and I don't get it. I don't get it for myself. I'm just, I get it for why other people do it. Uh, but I don't get why I should do it. Why, why do people care what I post in terms of being sad about a situation? So I just thought, you know what? I should write about this because I have a feeling that I'm not the only one who feels this way, who feels a tremendous amount of grief about what I see in the world, but doesn't feel like it's appropriate to just talk about that online. Uh, and so I wrote about it. And I frankly, Carmen, I got more response to that that article this past Tuesday than I've gotten to anything in six months. And, and hmm. people were basically saying, yep, yeah, I totally feel this. Like I feel kind of bad for not expressing my grief online, despite how bad I actually feel. And that's kind of where I'm at. It's like, I almost feel this sort of responsibility, this social responsibility to lament online about these terrible things. But like, why, where's that come from? There's, there's no reason for that. So anyway, mm-hmm. I was just, I was just kind of, wearing my own heart on my sleeve saying, hey, this feels kind of weird to be so vulnerable in such a non-intimate space. It's interesting to me, uh, you use the word lament. Obviously, that is not a word that, um, you know, a person might use outside of um, a Jewish or Christian context. We use that term here a lot. We talk about lament. We talk about the need to recover um, lament as a practice to study the Psalms of lament, to use them in our prayer life when we are aggrieved at the things that grieve the heart of God. We also talk, Chris, about um, sort of checking our grief against the question of, does this grieve God? And if it grieves God, then it absolutely ought to grieve me. But that ought to be my first question. Um, Does this grieve God? If it grieves God, then it ought to grieve me. And if it grieves God, um, how am I going to process that as a person of faith? And lament is is a God-directed prayer. And so one of the questions that your piece provoked me to ask is, when I'm tempted to post my grief or my grievance online in some social space, am I doing that as a substitute, weird substitute, Mm-hmm. For actually getting before the Lord and spending some time in honest lament. I mean, I recognize there's nothing I can do. Like, there's nothing I can do. I feel like there's nothing I can do. That's that frustration. That's that, uh, you know, that disempowerment. And so I feel like, you know, posting something is doing something. But we've talked about before, posting something's not doing something. That's, you know, that's, you're, that's not changing the reality on the ground for right. the people in Buffalo, the people in Uvalde, um, the people, you know, who have been abused by pastors uh, or camp counselors over the course of time. Like, that's not changing their reality. Um, that's right. But somehow we do feel like posting is doing something. Can we maybe circle back around to that? I know that's a that's like a historic conversation, 
But I feel confident that's a conversation you have pretty often. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I I think that, you know, th- there's there's a thing called slacktivism, which is, you know, like lazy activism where you post about things on the Internet and whether it's a social justice issue or something else that you post your outrage and your your lament or your grief about that situation. And that, yeah, like you feel like you've participated and you feel Mm -hmm. like you've uh, contributed to a movement or to to eradicating that injustice. And it's just untrue. And there's so many really smart people who have written a lot about about why that's a problem. In fact, I, I saw a clip the other day that's rather old of former president. Obama talking about how he has a problem with slacktivism and and it naturally it's kind of interesting because that rose it kind of became a trend around the time of his being in office just because of how the you bring to mind evolved. that whole save our save our girls right yeah I yeah, mean that I mean, was or, or Coney, right there was Coney, this hashtag yes Coney yes. 2012 was like one of the first examples of slacktivism gosh 10 mm-hmm. literally 10 years ago now which is crazy mm-hmm. but yeah I, I think it's I think all of us really should examine our hearts when it comes to posting grief or grievance on the internet and ask. Because what I found is I found that I probably would have just been doing it for like self-service. Like who's going to be helped by my grief? Probably Mm -hmm. just me, Uh, meaning posting my grief online. I don't think it's wrong to grieve, but like posting my grief about Uvalde or or Uvalde or or Buffalo or or the Southern Baptist Convention situation, uh, I would just be – it would just be this sort of release valve for me. And is that healthy? Is that is that good? Sh- should we be doing that? And, and exactly what to your point, am I just doing this as as a replacement for some sort of more valuable, deeper form of grief where I could go to my God and lament or or confide in a friend or if it's if it's if my grief is bad enough, a licensed therapist who can help me work through my grief. Social mm. media is not our therapist and it is shockingly scary to me how often it seems to be used that way. That's an interesting observation. Um, I think it's a substitute for real relationships and real conversation and the genuine processing through of um, events that, uh, that we need to be processing through together because we need corporate, collective, social answers to the questions that are being um, exposed by the the public trauma um and so we have these public sources of trauma and i think that at some level we imagine that we're processing that grief publicly but we're really not processing the grief at all we're we're just shoving it out there um in the public eye we're not actually processing through it which is you know i think you're um, your appeal to spending time talking with a licensed therapist, um, you know, or your pastor, a Christian counselor, like, right, that's, um, that would be time much better set, spent and processed in a much more healthy way. Chris, let's, um, let's return to this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We're talking with Chris Martin from the Terms of Service blog. That's also the name of his book. He's the editor or, and editor for Moody Press and a social media consultant. We're talking about um, online grieving. It does feel weird. Maybe it feels weird because it is weird. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Chris Martin, you can find what he's writing at the Terms of Service blog. Um, We're talking today about grieving online and, you know, frankly, that it feels weird. I think it feels weird because it is weird. Uh, And yet we do it. So... Chris, when we talk about public trauma, 
I also think that there is some strange value. I think that's the word I'm looking for. Uh, Like if I don't, if, if something horrific happens and everybody is posting about it and I don't post about it, then does that suggest to everybody that I don't care? I'm not concerned. I'm not grieved. Do you see the challenge, right? It's not that I have a fear of missing out on the grief. I'm grieving. But there's this expectation that, well, if you don't say something about that, then, you know, are you not as concerned about the shooting in Uvalde as you were about the shooting in Buffalo? What does that say about you? Are you not as concerned? You you see what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Totally. And th- this is a really good question. And this is something that I have debated. We're getting kind of like social media inside baseball here, but people who spend any time on social media their ears are probably perked up at this. Like they probably understand this sort of tension. And this is something that I wrestled with a lot when I worked in social media more from a professional standpoint, because I, I helped run social media. I mean, I did run social media at Lifeway Christian Resources, one of the largest Christian resource providers in the world. And we would often wrestle with this from a sort of corporate perspective. Like what things does Lifeway post about, you know, and, and, and call our, audience's attention toward and what things do we not from a you know because because brands have to wrestle with that as well of like what do what do they post about and what and actually I'm writing a piece for next week on on brands and issues like this but mm. um but yeah like I've I've wrestled with this kind of thing a lot and personally here let me say two I kind of think I have two thoughts here. One um is nobody's obligated to post anything. So there's been a mantra on social media as long as social media is around that says like such and so's silence is deafening. Uh, mm. No, that's foolishness. I don't want to hear that. That's that is that is. If you say such and so's silence is deafening, you know, and you're relate, you're talking about like somebody not posting something on social media. All you've told me is you spend too much time on social media because such and so not posting about your issue that you're thinking they should be posting about that person could be going through something in their own life. They could simply be going about their life and not posting as frequently as you think they should be. Uh, Like nobody is obligated or accountable to anyone for saying something about something on the internet. Like that's just, and that's something that I've had to come to terms with over the years for my, for myself, for, for organizations that I've helped run social media for. And as I've consulted with authors who, who work through issues like this, I often tell authors, like, you're not obligated to talk about everything that everyone's talking about. Secondly, we shouldn't feel like the only way to care is to post online. And I think sometimes that is what it comes to. However, let me say this to the first point about how nobody's obligated to say anything. If you are the kind of person who uses social media in such a way that you do post about everything, like you post about tragedy a and tragedy b and tragedy c and then tragedy d comes along and you don't post about it people will understandably wonder why you did not post about tragedy d when you posted about tragedies a b and c that's understandable and this is where like i've had to catch myself of that such and so silence is deafening falling into that mindset because there are some people that i've followed on social media who love to talk about Issues that are interesting to them, you know, in the realm of politics. But then when there's a political issue that's super prominent and and in the news that maybe sheds bad light on their 
party or their movement, they decide not to talk about that one. It's like, well, you talked about all these other political issues, but you're not talking about this one. That seems kind of interesting. So here's what I would say. Nobody's obligated to post anything. But if you're the kind of person who's posting about everything and then you don't post about something, you may be communicating a message to your followers. Is that a fair is it fair for them to judge you for what you don't say? Uh, no, probably not. Because again, you, you may have been out on family vacation and just couldn't post about whatever that thing is going on in the world. But I think generally speaking, my counsel is just don't post about any of that stuff. That's the, that's the personal conclusion I've come to is I tend to stay away. And this is just in the last year or two. Uh, I tend to stay away from all major current events as best as I can posting on social media because I can't talk about all of them and I don't want to talk about three of them and not all 12 of them or whatever. I just try to stay in my lane and post things that are funny to me, interesting to me, or are related to social media in some way. So if there's a major world event and there's a social media angle, then I'm going to probably post something about that. Like if I read an article about how social media played a role in the tragedy in Texas – I might share that article because if social media played a role, that that's kind of in my lane. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think everyone should probably think about what their lane is on social media, even if you're not an author or anybody who's well known. Just figure out – I think this is just part of having an intentional relationship with social media. Think about what you want to post and if what's going on in the world doesn't fall into the – the realm of, of who you are and what you like to post about, just refrain. Like we don't have to participate in every conversation that goes on. And I think people forget that. Yeah. Some um, social media expert told me once that I should choose a lane and I should choose a, um, a particular social media platform and I should just cultivate um, a commitment to that particular platform you know, instead of trying to cover the waterfront, I don't know who that was, but he was pretty smart. (laughs) Um, so and I'm not good at it. Like, let's just all confess and admit Carmen is not good at social media. I I uh, I get really excited about, you know, conversations in one particular place and I give it some attention for some period of time. And then, you know, that wanes and I move on to other things, you know, because I got I got a real life to live. Um, and so I think that's a part of this conversation as well. If you think I'm not talking about something on some social media platform, it might be because I'm collecting eggs or mowing the yard. So there you go. And, and, um, Chris. And look, hey, and, and there are. It's it is it is a good thing to be bad at social media. Let me say that. (laughs) There you go. go. That is expert advice for today from social media content um, expert Chris Martin. It's good to be bad at social media. There you go. Hey, Chris, have a great weekend with your people. Thank you. You too. Thanks. There ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA So at the top of the hour in this Best of Mornings with Carmen episode on July the 4th, um, we started unpacking the opening sentence of the Declaration of Independence. And we're talking about each, um, each phrase here. We've talked about the reality that our unalienable rights are dependent upon an understanding that we are created and that we are endowed by our creator with those unalienable rights. 
But backing up a little bit further into that opening sentence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Do you believe that? Do you believe that all are created equal? Not some, but all. Um, Not just men, but women. All created equal. The conversation of the day um, or the conversations of the day related to race, abortion, assisted suicide, disability, medical ethics, slavery, human trafficking, pornography, immigration, AI, pretty, pretty much every ethical and political debate that we're having right now is grounded right here in the reality that all of us and each of us are created equally in the image of God. We stand on equal footing at creation, at the cross, and in the kingdom. And that equality has often been misunderstood or misapplied, but it is real. It is persistent. It is unassailable. So it gives us an opportunity today to talk about the reality of, uh, of who we all are um, in, in, in sight of God. So then backing up to the question of whether or not the truths that we hold, we hold together. Because we hold these truths to be self-evident. These truths um, is an opportunity to talk about the reality of truth. Truth exists whether we acknowledge it or not. Truth is a transcendental reality. It's inescapable. It's persistent. It's consistent. And so today you could talk about the reality of truth. And then you could talk about whether or not we hold these truths to be self-evident. What do you hold? What do you hold as true truth today? In a culture where each person presumes to hold their own truth um, and little little truth is held by truth in common to all, I think it's imperative that we talk about the truths we hold. And these truths we hold as self-evident, that all men are created equal endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. What do you hold today? And what do you hold up today? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.